Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast. Our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Gian Lemmy and Jim Good. How's it going, guys? Hey, Chad. How's it going, Chad? All right. This is, uh, we, we don't want to mess around. This, this episode uh, was just lights out, um, filled two pages of notes myself, and just we want to get right into it. But today we have Miss Cindy White. She serves as the program director at Baylor University and Truett Seminary's Faith and Sports Institute. Uh, she herself was an All-American volleyball player at the University of Alabama. She coached one year at the University of Texas um, and then spent 35 years uh, pioneering women's ministry with Athletes in Action, the, the organization where I'm serving at. Um, and then from there, she's had uh, an interesting journey now leading into um, the seminary world of just coaching the coaches, coaching the, the chaplains who are ministering in the sports world. Um, but gentlemen, what, what do you guys uh, have to highlight out of this episode? Chad, that by far the best interview you've ever done. I'm not saying that the other ones were great, but this might be the peak of your interviewing skills. Um, Let's go. You, I think sometimes we go and in our first few episodes, Chad, we we had those questions and we just went through almost like a job interview, you know, um, and we've obviously gotten better at that. But this one, you could see that both of you, you and, and Cindy, were in the moment just having a heart to heart conversation. And I think the questions just build out of the previous answer instead of us just having a checklist of things that we would like to talk about. And I think you can see through that um, in the interview. Jim? Uh, yeah, it was okay. Just kidding. <laughs> it, was, it was fire. Fire, people. And I echo G and Chad. You did an amazing job. We're not trying to pump your head up too much, man. But we know in humility, you, you, you really, in the interview, got to feel, um, you know, Cindy's heart, not just her head. And the questions um, reminded me of an episode that we did and, and what else and leaning into more. So great interview. I, I'm going to throw out a quote because this was just the uh, pinnacle of the podcast for me, Mountaintop, and I want to get it right. So I'm looking at my notes. She says this, sanctification is a lifelong process of getting used to justification." boom mic dropped yeah that's that's good and and you know like coach as you're listening if if you're looking for like a soft uh fluffy little 25 minute drive home uh probably skip ahead get it get a different uh interview or episode here but if you're looking to dig deep into your heart your soul your motivation your past um i think really really tune in and open your heart say god what, what do you have for me from listening to Cindy and her experience, but uh, we don't want to waste any more time. We want to get into this episode right now. Cindy White, you uh, you were on campus up here at Athletes in Action just a month or so ago, and uh, you took over the room in the most uh, awesome ways. And I said, hey, we have to get her on our podcast. And so I'm thankful that you made time for us, but we, uh, we like to get right into it here. So um, Cindy, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? Thanks, Chad. Wow. Way to start with the easy one. <laughs> uh, perhaps the question might be, what does it mean to be a Christian mm. in whatever venue 
God has situated us. So um, I will apply it to sports, but uh, or a coach. We're all called as Christians to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so even in the sports arena, what does that look like to love and worship God, to live out his kingdom values, and to love our neighbor, which actually means our opponent, our fans, the best player on the bench, the least of these, um, our staff. And so it's living out our kingdom values everywhere we go. And in the sports arena, that is really, really hard. I love what Abraham Kuyper says, a reformed theologian, says that there's not one square inch on this universe over which Christ does not exclaim, it is mine. And so he is the Lord of sport. And so we offer everything to him in everything that we do. And we can't serve God and man at the same time. So we have to make some hard decisions. Oh my goodness, that's so good. We, we could unpack that um, and keep going. That really good, I appreciate that. Love God, love people. Um, God's uh, the God of the sports arena and, and over every inch. Um, and just hearing from your experiences and your journey, there's so many ways we could go with this conversation, but the spot I wanna start is just, you had a, a storied, uh, I'll call it a career, but a service, I guess, with Athletes in Action. Um, and just what what were the um, challenges that you saw over the course of your your service with AIA the, um, as, you, as you served in ministry and pioneering women's ministry, but just share about your time at, with AIA and some of the challenges that you would have faced. Uh, thanks for asking that. And first, I just want to say I will always be indebted to AIA. As a young Christian, didn't have much foundation, come from a challenging um, background, home background. And so for me to join AIA and to have people uh, equip and train me and love me, not for my performance as an athlete or coach, but love me for who I was, um, transformative, absolutely. I would probably say some of the biggest challenges continue and even are more pervasive today that we live in a dualistic culture, especially related to sports in America, that Christianity is only a spiritual thing. And so we make that more important than everything else. And that's not good theology. Um, so when you talk about sports, you can go to church and do the social club and pray before games. But the challenge is helping athletes and coaches. And honestly, I just have to say the world system, which then begs the question, is it even can we do that, is how to live in the world without living, um, being a part of it. And so that's been a real challenge. And I would say for Christians and sports chaplains, um, oftentimes I experience a lot of dualism too, that we can pray and we teach the word, all of which I subscribe to, but not understanding the cultural influences that we're being discipled by sport, if that makes sense that the cultural influence day in, day out is sending messages that you are not good enough, you must perform to earn approval, earn a starting spot. And so that inertia is so strong 
that we have to really pull back the reins and say, who am I? What is my identity? How do I live out, as I already mentioned, Christ's example and values in this world that oftentimes is antithetical to the gospel? Yeah, the the pressure, the pressure from the sports culture is is tough. Um, and even from within us, uh, the pressure as a coach seems to be tough to handle. But just uh, if I was uh, a coach being mentored uh, by you under your teaching and you wanted to, to help guide me in handling these pressures that are coming at us from every direction, what are a few of the, the fundamental things that, that when you were mentoring uh, coaches with, with AIA and continue to like, how, how do you help them? fight through that as a believer in the, in the sports world. Mm, yeah, that's good. And I know it's more helpful if I get practical with things first, it's, I would affirm their identity as a child of God more than anything. And oftentimes people are wowed by the athlete. They don't need our flattery. They need our love. Mm. And so the very first thing I always do is I get to know them. I get to know their story. I get to know their challenges. And uh, the second is create a safe space because um, this might sound funny, but Bobby Knight has been an example to me in many ways, not in throwing chairs of which I was at that game, um, but his, his, his pursuit of excellence in everything that you do. And so um, he says, the higher you climb the ladder, uh, the more your rear end is exposed. He, he used other expletives as well. Um, so um, I want to save space so they aren't going to be judged by the scoreboard or by the win-loss, by um, the, the family. It's so hard. The fans, everything is so hard. So creating a space. And I think coaches could do this with one another, but also uh, also within their church, that where it's safe, that people aren't going to share stuff. Um, the other, and I mentioned this, I, I don't know if it's in this section or other questions, but uh, developing a rhythm of life, um, keeping the Sabbath, and I'm exploring that a lot more in the sports world. I don't mean the Eric Little, who's one of my heroes, to just not compete on Sunday. That's not going to happen in our culture. How can I maintain my rhythms to stay connected to God without any of the cultural influences. So I need other people. Coaches need safe communities, not just me as a minister, but also other people outside of the sports world where they affirm who they are as a child. They're entrenched in community. As athletes or coaches say, we die twice, once when we retire and then our physical death. And so we need places where we're thriving whether the scoreboard shows it or not. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but it has certainly helped a lot of coaches to have um, voc more than their current vocation or station in life. They have to have a bigger picture of well-being for the rest of their life. Yeah, all that really great advice. You, know, you said getting to know them, creating safe space, and then just the rhythms um, could you maybe go go deeper into the rhythm, maybe even personally what it's meant to you to start to try to Sabbath better um, or even just for the, the coach? Um, 
how can they how can they create that on a, on a daily weekly basis because the the burnout rate seems high even recently it seems like a lot of coaches are are bailing here since covid um and and just the burnout rate seems high so what what could they do to kind of renew their strength keep their purpose uh at the forefront good question and i understand the burnout rate because we have bought into the production and consumption um the pharaonic pharaoh system of never enough more 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 make more bricks without what we have to make them and so um to do that it's a uh, brueggemann has a great book called sabbath as resistance so i'm not talking sundays i'm talking the production and consumption culture that sports is not going to give up therefore we can't live like that we can't make more bricks with no straw therefore we have to have times in our life we put the phone down we wake up and our first thought needs to be god thank you i'm alive we meditate in scripture not watching film not buying into the never enough system um uh, now i'm guilty sometimes but i'm pushing hard we don't get up earlier so we can get more done. I think coaches need to reevaluate. And I know you, you will think I'm crazy and I don't know, but reevaluate the 80 to 90 work week. Um, that's not healthy and whole. So how can we be efficient and yet not buy into the production culture? So wake up, spend time with the Lord, even if it's short. I go for walks with podcasts or worship music. So this is my efficiency mode. I can get some exercise. I can be in God's creation. I can breathe. Honestly, learning how to breathe and listen to your body is helpful. And I can do that while I walk. So even though it might be slightly misdirected, it's really, really helpful. Um, I can find uh, once or twice a week safe, good friends who can just love me, look at me, go to lunch together. Super helpful. All of us have to eat. So we don't have to have working lunches, maybe occasionally. So that's helpful and certainly um, commit to church. But I, I think phones, that, that's a big thing. A big thing. Watch our, our whether it's our coach texting our staff or even our families trying to stay connected. We've got to have real time together and we've got to say no to some things so that we can say yes to ourselves. If you notice the, um, the, the first commandment is loving God and neighbor as ourselves. If we can't figure that out, like in an airplane, you know, you think it's selfish that um, the flight attendant asks you to put the mask on first so that you can give it to your children or others. So we have to learn to put our masks on and I'm not talking COVID masks. We can take care of ourselves and have plenty of oxygen, God's word, his spirit, his community of people and block that out in our life every day, every week, every month. And they all add up two years. That's the only way we're going to make it for the long haul. Yeah, that's so good. I hope the coaches are, are tuning into that. That's great advice. Um, there's this, this myth out there that just, yeah, grind more, work longer hours. And, um, I think people are really suffering from, from that and not to ne ne neglect, uh, hard work obviously is, is super important, but we have to, we have to have these rhythms of, 
of renewal too, uh, to sustain it. Um, I want to go back. You, one of the first things you talked about was just getting to know players, getting to know coaches. And um, when when we did get to sit down together, you you shared some about the Good Samaritan. Could you just maybe share that with with some of the coaches tuning in here on what what does the Good Samaritan? How can that help a coach better love and and know their players, their communities? Yeah, that's great. This has been the last few years with this story that most of us have heard of and help others in need. And that was my kind of my idea. Didn't really dive into it, but it is powerful and transformative if we dig into this story. Uh, Kurt Thompson, Dr. Kurt Thompson, Soul of Shame, one of my recommended books, um, says that every human being needs to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure. And it starts in the womb. And it goes on for the rest of our lives. And in the Good Samaritan, and Jesus is telling this uh, to make a poignant uh, truth for actually the religious folks, the, the religious folks were not the Good Samaritan. So first, those who don't profess Christ are very capable of operating and loving people and doing good. And so shame on us. And that's Jesus point. The religious folks didn't even come close and they walked on the other side of the road. The good Samaritan, however, did four things. He saw, in other words, we notice people, we pay attention. You see someone coming into practice, their head is down or there's some tears or they're bucking up because they are really angry about something. Notice, hey, you doing okay today? I noticed this about you. So it's noticing body language. It's noticing facial expressions. And I know I only coached at a high level for a little bit. You think that would be exhausting. Your team will have more loyalty to you if you see them. And so the first is seeing them. The second, he felt for this hurt man laying naked. Talk about the maximum vulnerability. So we're all vulnerable, naked, and unable to help himself. So that he felt he was moved with pity or compassion. And compassion means with suffering. And so you can't really suffer with someone until you're close up. And my years at Central State and Wilberforce and over in Scotland of really getting close up with people, uh, you need a heart transplant spiritually if you don't care and you see pain and do nothing. Mm -hmm. So we can notice people. I also suggest for coaches, help our entitled self-absorbed athletes, and pardon me for just being blunt, but it's true, who definitely need to be noticed, but they're so concerned about themselves, help them get out of this cycle and help them notice the pain. Your team will be better if you do some service projects together and you learn how to suffer with other people. Because if you can do it, especially in marginalized communities, you can do it with each other better. The third, he did something. Uh, you know, James says, oh, someone comes to your door in need. Oh, you know, be blessed, be fed and say goodbye. No, you have to act. And whatever your capacity is emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, you cannot say you care 
if you do nothing. So if you don't have the capacity, you can at least direct them to somebody who can help. In other words, I'm not going to leave you alone. And our mental health issues right now are about not being seen, never enough messages, and isolation. Because nobody else in this world gets it. Let's help each other get it better. And last, that he sacrificed. Not only did he act, but he took him to the inn, paid the owner, and then said, if there's even more, I'll pay you for that. Now, it's all based on capacity, but to whom much is given, much is required. So I prayed for years for more empathy because I was a doer, big visionary, go for it. I honestly felt in my soul I didn't care enough. Oh, my gosh, I dare you to start praying that way. But your life will be overwhelmed with the pain and brokenness in the world in the very best sense. Um, so the Good Samaritan, the non-religious one, did it well. Might we have the courage to do it even more? Wow, I just filled one one full page of notes on on that one. So thank you for thank you for sharing that. Um, so much within there, really good. And right at the end, you talked about just being a doer. Um, you know, you were a, a top athlete there at Alabama, coached at Texas, um, pioneering uh, women's ministry with athletes in action. And uh, for me, I, I spent my first 10 years out of college as a coach, seven at the college level. And now for me joining um, into chaplaincy with athletes in action, there's this kind of process of the, the coaches dying and trying to do some of these things that, that you're teaching. Um, but as you think back on your journey um, from that, that doer accomplished, I'm going to go take over the world to just having a little more empathy, stepping back, getting a new perspective. Um, Cause I think for, for me personally, and for some coaches listening, they might be right in that seat right now, but what would be some first steps that you would, that you would recommend, or maybe that you, you went through yourself um, to kind of not have to achieve and do, 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 but more, you know, just be with people with God. Mm. Well, Richard Rohr has a great book called falling upward. And now I don't subscribe to everything he believes in rights, but very, very good that the first half of our life, we're on this treadmill of achievement. And I think part of it is because of our own fractured identity that we have to prove our worth. Um, the second half is, oh, once we realize that we're okay and we don't have to prove our worth, we can settle in. Now, it would be better if we learned it earlier. So um, I'm advocating letting suffering and pain do its necessary work in your life. And I'm not saying, oh, God's got to teach you lessons. That's a really horrible theology of suffering. I'm saying when things come, I've had a lot of pain and suffering in my life. And I, my, my identity was resilience. I pushed through. Um, you're, you know, you're not going to. Louis Zamperini and Unbroken, you're not going to beat me. Well, I've had enough circumstances in my life to say, Cindy, you can't do it all. And resilience to a fault is not good. So pulling back, being more honest with myself, what am I chasing or who's chasing me? Start allowing my soul to hear the truth. Um, 
I suggest uh, Parker Palmer, uh, Hidden Wholeness, and David Benner, The Gift of Being Yourself, talks about the two different selves, the hurt one inside and the one that we put to the world to create space and friends who can help tell the truth, which is the most freeing thing in the world. But it's so vulnerable. I'm just saying it's not easy. It's vulnerable. But it's uh, Brene Brown's vulnerability of Roosevelt's uh, in the arena with the dirt and sweat and blood that we would go to places of vulnerability and start allowing God to love us. The reason I resisted is because deep down, I didn't know how loved I was. Mm. And uh, now is the prodigal son. I know I'm throwing him out because in case I can't get him in there, I got to get him out there. Um, and uh, not now and anything now and is sitting back with open hands, allowing the love and goodness and and care of God to envelop us. And when I started crawling into my father's lap in my late 20s, early 30s, and putting my arms down after career-ending injury, deaths in the family, coming through divorce, a lot of abuse in our family, Cindy, stop. Just stop and open your hands and God receive what God has for you because we always think we're not enough and we are, but we don't know it. So I believe this is trite and old that sanctification is the lifelong process of getting used to justification. So we just have to get used to the idea that we're deeply loved. And if we don't go to those places, we will run to something else that will find it. You go from sports, then you're done. Then you go to parenthood and your children are your scoreboard. Then you go to what other job. So if you don't do it, um, you will not live uh, a whole fruitful life that God has called us to do. But it's the hardest and most beautiful intimate experiences I've ever had uh, is to let the love of God through his people and his word and truth telling to myself, um, let it do its work. And it often takes suffering to get there. Beautifully said. Uh, thank you for sharing that. That's uh, that's gold right there. Um, appreciate you open up your heart to to share with us um, and how dangerous, how dangerous it is uh, for a coach or or minister, you know, to, to be leading, um, uh, with these, these wounds, which, which we all carry. Um, so getting, getting healing, uh, and getting help is, is key. And, and I think that kind of leads into some of what you guys are doing there at Baylor now and helping educate and, and lead, um, you know, people in the, in the ministry world, this, this theology of sport, um, can you just share, just as you're discerning, I feel like a lot of coaches have transitions to make, they're praying and, uprooting and, and these decisions, but how, how was it for you to, to decide that you wanted to begin this work in this ministry uh, there at the seminary? Yeah, it was a good question and a, a good question and a tough one because I love sports. Um, I love everything about it, the embodiment of sports and the competition. I love that. But when I was at Texas, I started seeing the hurt and the need for healing and the gospel. And I realized I was helping to coach 12 women and some staff. 
And I thought, wow, God has really motivated me to really go farther, deeper, um, broader, everywhere. And so the question to me in my own spirit was like, well, what if you encourage and mentor coaches? And I'm not good at math, but exponentially, if you encourage coaches, then that's 12 times 12 and 144. You know, you get the idea. But then also, um, I'm coming through Title IX, too. Women didn't have the opportunity. It was all male chaplains. And, you know, that's not fair. That's not right. Jesus cares for everyone. So I really thought this makes a lot of sense. I was passionate. I actually, on Guadalupe Avenue in Austin, held out a piece of paper, signed my name to the bottom, and said, now, God, you fill in the rest. And so it wasn't easy, but I allowed him to direct me in ways that I needed to go. That was for me. Coaching is a tremendous ministry, so I'm not uh, minimizing that at all. But I also needed more foundation, biblical, theological foundation. So I got my master's. I didn't want to be passionate um, with nothing to say or not being a whole person. So I got my master's and uh, had tremendous ministry at Indiana. That was my first placement. I committed to two years and what, 38 years later, I'm still part-time because I saw girls, young women come to Christ from all over the world. And I thought, wow, this is where I'm supposed to be. And after several years with AIA, um, working hard and started the women's ministry, uh, John and I really felt the pull with the complex issues in our culture, in sports and mental health, we really felt we needed to make this global and praying for a place to that was a research one university, division one university with institutional support who could really leverage um, our ability to train the trainers well. So we can share Christ, but we cannot, as general lay counselors or lay ministers, we're not equipped to do the deeper, thoughtful, theological work. So we need sociologists, psychologists, theologians, and research to put the best practices out there. So it was interesting. We started in 2004. And it wasn't until 2011 that Baylor called us. Mm. And that was after Scotland. So I told my husband, well, we're not going anywhere (laughs) until the kids graduate from high school. And then Baylor called and I was like, oh, no, now I got to live what I preach to Mm -hmm. be open to God and his word. And so for the coaches, um, a lot of transition. Uh, First, I suggest don't if you're not trying to pursue God and minister where you're at, like, don't make any decisions yet because you've got to start where you're at to grow. Um, But we do offer a professional certificate program, I'd say has gone very well, a Bible in sports, race in sports, theology in sports, leadership in sports, um, and mental health in sports. And we're scaling up to 12 courses. Um, that's gone really well for professionals who don't want to leave where they're at to get good training. We also now just started an online master's program. You don't have to leave where you're at. 
uh, it's not for everyone to go to seminary. So there's plenty of opportunities. And another that's really growing is our deep dive retreat. If you've got some deeper woundedness and need some healing, it's a long weekend at Baylor. And we have uh, licensed counselors to walk us through our own journeys. And that's been amazing. So there's plenty of opportunities out there to be learning and growing. Um, Certainly, I encourage the idea of having solid mentors. Part of my master's was on mentors and only like 12% of women and about 18% of men had mentors, trusted people who will encourage and tell you the truth. So that's, that's vital for people in the sports world. Really good. We'll, uh, we'll be sure to put uh, these in the show notes as well, just for any coaches that are interested. Um, And if some of these books that you you've named as well uh, along the way, but what what I want to end with, I'm just curious, um, just for you, as you're still producing such great work and, and research and content, um, what what think about legacy? Um, like how how do you want to be remembered? Hmm. I would hope that being entrusted with the gospel and my serious commitment has led to a well-integrated life. People who know me would say I am vulnerable, open to the truth, and want to be whole physically, mentally, spiritually, and not bifurcated. I want to take care of my body, take care of my mind, take care of my um, sometimes misguided affections, take care of this good earth. I'm a nature lover because it's God's sign that points us to him So I take care of what God has given me on this earth around me, my gardens. um, I love that. I also would like to be known for being a risk taker uh, personally, uh, like whether it's sacrificing reputation or being misunderstood. Also doing the scary thing when people might say no or think you're crazy. Um, that you have nothing to lose. You gain the whole world and lose your soul if, you know, God plus one's a majority. So if he is, I don't, I'm not saying uncalculated risk, but if he's in it, then go for it. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- those are the, those are the big ones that we want to be fruitful and multiply. Um, and my, my best coach, not a Christian Olympic coach and do the fundamentals well. So do the fundamentals well. Take care of your home, your family. Take care of your heart. Uh, do those well, and that is a life of flourishing. So um, I, I try to do that the best that I can by the Spirit of God and with the help of the people of God. Mm, that's so good. Thank, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for for sharing with us. This has touched my my soul, and uh, I've I've appreciated it. And we, we always just end with prayer at the end of these conversations. So just how could we be praying for you today? Thank you, Chad. It's a way to say I care. I appreciate that. Um, pray for me um, as I continue to age. I want to be very cognizant uh, of uh, discerning what I invest in invest my time with good discernment. Um, I love to scale mountains in ministry and God is pulling me back. So I need discernment. 
as well as just the courage to live in the paradox of life, both and the goods and the bads, some challenging family situations, uh, the goods and the bads. Um, I just want to live in that liminal space that all of us have, and I want to do it really well. And uh, last but not least, Henry Nowen's last words is tell my friends I'm grateful. Hopefully these aren't my last words. I want to, I want to be grateful every single day. Mm, that's really good. Let's, let's pray here. Father, we bow down to you. Uh, you're the King of Kings and, and the Lord of Lords. And thank you, God, for just calling us uh, sons and daughters, uh, for calling us to be your children and inviting us to just walk with you. Um, just pray for Cindy right now. Uh, just help her to discern where to invest. Um, God, help her to continue to, to take risks when you tell her to. Um, and God, just put a, a grateful spirit, grateful heart uh, inside of her. Um, thank you for the work that her and John and the others are doing at, at Baylor. And just pr uh, pray that you'll continue to bless that. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wow, coaches, I hope you locked in. I hope you tuned in. I hope you took some notes and really took the time to digest and chew that up. Cindy, amazing, amazing interview. Chad, great job. And I'll tell you what resonated with me, just the uh, hearing our heart, as we said before, but then she talked about, you know, making decisions and these spiritual decisions and transitional changes and the idea of, you know, start where you're at to grow. And I know in my life, I, I'm just able to relate to that in different transitions of my life. And looking back, thankful to a sovereign God who allowed me to grow where I was at before I was looking to make these transitions. So, man, that just spoke to my heart, fellas. Yeah, I really, I really loved it. Um, I think, you know, the closing statement that we always say is, you know, the mission field is right where you're at. And that's that's a good point. And Cindy backed that up. Um, I think sometimes we're all, we get caught in looking at the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and we forget to grow ourselves and grow the people around us where we are currently at. And I think, you know, same thing with the parable of the talents. Um, God is going to give you one thing and see how you how you shepherd that. Um, and, and if you do it well, he'll give you more. If not, he, he, he won't. Um, and so I think it's very important for us to continue to seek ways to grow in the Lord and, and grow as humans so that um, the next thing is visible to us. Yeah, that's that's so good, guys. Um, yeah, so uh, thankful to have met Cindy in person and thankful that she was willing to come and share all of her experiences and, and her heart with us. I'm just really excited for what they're doing there at Baylor. Um, and so if you're looking for a, a certificate coach, we put those in the show notes. Check those out. Um, but we could spend another 30 minutes just uh, us recapping, highlighting, sharing our journey of, of where we've been as coaches. Um, but I think uh, just where, where she kind of ended was just she said, you know, start where you're at, you know, open handed to God. Um, but there, there was so much I loved uh, just the falling upward, the, the treadmill, our identity, um, just, just going through pain and suffering like. This is the process that we're all in in this sanctification process. Like, yeah, we wanna we wanna make Christ known here and around the world, uh, but we're going through a process ourselves. And so it's super super helpful to just have people around you, find a community to to go through that, a coaches uh, huddle, 
uh, a mentor, um, whoever you can coach. Uh, but we, we're, we're praying for you. We're rooting for you, coach. Um, and thanks again to Cindy White. And we end every episode the same. And just remember, coach, that the mission field is right where you're at.